0: Feel the California sun beating down. Yeah, see the pretty roses sprout from the ground. You hear voices whisper through the mission walls, louder than all the kids and the parents' cell phone calls.
1: If you stop to listen hear their hearts beating loud. Can't keep those California Indians down. They're tough and resilient and holding their ground. Can't
2: keep those Welcome to the American Indians Indian Airways. Today's program, to we we'll have, have having a panel discussion on fascism down. with Dr. Fabiana Hurst-Dubin, our international correspondent. Boy, Matef Harmacus and educator, Professor North William North. Robinson oh, will of UCSB. Oh, then following, we will have a discussion with a actor right? Abby Yabada about, about the attempted fascist insurrection in Washington, D.C., and other thoughts on the subject from Indigenous you point of view. So son. welcome to the show today. We have a lot of important things to, right. to say. And so now let's tune into our panel discussion Can't on fascism. Down.
1: Tough and
0: resilient and holding their ground. Can't keep those California Indians down
2: From Part of our panel discussion today will be Matef Harmakus is a social scientist teaching high school, a former journalist a longtime activist working in pan-African and third-world decolonial solidarity, education, labor, and political prisoner liberation movements. He also is a co-editor of Black Power Afterlives, The Enduring Significance of the Black Panther Party, edited by Diane C. Fugino and Matef Harmakas. We are glad to, to have him on our panel discussion about fascism. Besides having Mr. Matef Harmacus, Fabiana, who else do we have on the panel today?
0: We're very glad to be joined this evening by Dr. William Robinson, who is a professor of sociology and global studies at UCSB. He's also written a book, which we have discussed previously on our program, called Global Police State, which really explains a lot about the development of fascism in the U.S. at this time in an international context. We're very pleased to have him join us this evening.
2: To start the discussion, I've asked our panel, what is fascism? Professor William Robinson starts the discussion.
1: In a nutshell, fascism is, a, it is an extreme response to capitalist crisis. It was in the 20th century and it is in the 21st century. It's a response which involves an authoritarian and highly repressive state doing the bidding of capital at a time of crisis, uh, and one that involves always a fascist mobilization in civil society, which involves a series of ideological and political positions, including, including a racist mobilization, including a xenophobia, and so these three things come together, a right? fascist, racist mobilization in civil society uh, with the interests of capital at a time when capitalism is in crisis and repressive and reactionary political power in the state. And, you know, of course, that's precisely and exactly what we are seeing percolating here in the United
2: States right now in this particular conjuncture. And Mr. Uh, Mr. Matesh?
3: I've always thought that capitalism in crisis was, a, what was her name? Clara Zetkin in her book Fighting Fascism gave a very lengthy <laughs> uh, explanation, but our Palm Duck came behind her and said uh fascism is the complete expression of the whole tendency of capitalism and decay. And then ten years later Georgie uh Georgie Dimitrov his report in nineteen thirty five said that uh fascism is the raw open naked dictatorship of the most segment of finance capital. And it's kind of comical to me that my Antifa friends, especially those that really hate that uh, last definition, they claim that uh, it does not cover neo-fascism. And I keep asking them, and they haven't given me a good answer yet. Have you seen neo-fascism, what they call fascism from below, arise and not be positively sanctioned by government institutions or just from above? To me, Dimitrov's definition is fine. I'm not going to get picky you. But, you know, when I teach to high schoolers, I give them the elements and then I have no problem. I say, it's, first of all, you have to have capitalism, you have to have nationalism, militarism, sexism, race. I just stop there. Some people say there's 13 elements or 17, but for high schoolers, those five seem to cover it really well for them. And they have no problem. Pointing it out everywhere in history and today, except the USA. For some reason, they can't wrap their heads around where I live is fascist. And I asked them, well, with that to an indigenous person, a Hawaiian, how about a port? Then the conversation changed. They have to throw up into false defenses or to say, yeah, it certainly looks fascist. And of course if you ask a Japanese person who had to do time in prison simply because they weren't white enough during War two, yeah, it looks fascist. So you know, the definition myriad all boiled down to these elements, these expressions, as I think uh, Dr. Robinson clearly stated. And and Fabiana.
0: It's interesting to talk about neo fascism because I never know with these neo terms. What really looked like it happened to me last week was a basic history lesson of the US from the very beginning. You know, almost like one day summing up all the history. And granted, different players, different actors, different scenario. It's not that it's always the same, but it's amazing when, and I hope we get to talk about this a little bit, who was there and what they represent. It felt like if people often say, like you're saying, it can't happen here. You know, it can happen every place else, but it can't happen here because somehow the U.S. is exempt. When actually the U.S., it may not have been called fascist at the very beginning because it had different terminology incipient fascism was probably part of the system from the very beginning given what happened to the land what happened to native peoples and slavery and so on all the history that most people are aware of well we
2: begin the panel discussion kind of round uh, discussion we have a lot of individuals within the newscast industry that that talks about even the politicians, talks about an individual act, talks about, you know, what happened in, in, in Washington, D.C., within the capital of the insurgents, and about the insurrection of the United States Capitol, this a couple of days ago, and different individuals speak out. And we wanted an American Airways to address this question. And I can't think of a better individuals as the three of you now the the so we'll go around again is that why should we talk about that and maybe your comments of what happened within the insurrection at the united states capitol we'll start we'll start with uh professor robinson right
1: you know well one of the alarming things and by the way right before we started this interview i was listening to a youtube which might that michael moore just put out and it's absolutely alarming he's reporting that these um Fascist groups, the fascist groups in civil society around the country have put up posters in all the major cities, but especially in Washington, calling for an armed march, armed marches in the next few days. So, by the time this interview air, airs, we might already see that. But the other thing he's pointing out, which we already know, um, Michael Moore is pointing out in, in this YouTube. Um, is that this was an inside job in the sense that the police pulled back, the Capitol police pulled back, the um, D.C. police pulled back, um, and they invited in uh, these fascists into the Capitol. And moreover, it's clear that there were uh, Republican members of Congress and Senate and their staffers that, was also part of this inside job. But the larger story behind what we saw last week is that it's been well documented that police forces have, have infiltrated in order to participate in these, all of these different fascist movements, the Klan and the Nazis, but also the Proud Boys at QAnon and so forth and so on, and vice versa. These fascist uh, racist, fascist, white nationalist organizations have also infiltrated the police and for that matter, the armed forces. So it's exactly what I see said we see a fusion of fascist forces in civil society with the most reactionary and repressive elements of the state, and not just the right wing of the republican party that's part of this fusion but also the armed forces the armed wing of the state which is the police uh and 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 the military and so we can really say that these paramilitary forces of, of these fascist groups in civil society are really also power states uh, forces. So this is um, extremely, extremely dangerous. And as every, everyone has already pointed out, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, protests were brutally, brutally, massively and brutally repressed. And we saw basically kid gloves, almost, you know, h- half of the police p- pat them on the head and took selfies with them. And the other half uh, suffered serious consequences because they tried to block
2: the, uh, the, the, the assault. But the questions are why sure we talk about that now and what the uses of fascists and what Professor Robinson just indicated about is there a double standards what in the blatant hypocrisy of America regarding this insurrection and the treatment of police forces even the enablers of this talk about them at Tiff. what we have
3: seen throughout history is that double standard we see uh, neo-fascism or fascism from below, instead of linking arms with their fellow oppressed working class members, they link forces with the institutions of the ruling class, like the military, like the police forces, and take out their frustrations on the most marginalized. I mean, you really don't think there's a connection between snatching babies at the border and sending their parents back, back home, as if the United States policies back home did not force them to walk thousands of miles for relief, how the response hits them. There's a link from that directly to what happened last Wednesday at the Capitol. I'm confused why people don't see this. There's a link between police genocide of unarmed African males specifically but a lot of females say her name and to what happened last Wednesday. I, I don't see how people can't comprehend this. And of course, my brothers and sisters overseas say, look man, the ongoing imperialist project of the USA to create a hegemonic empire over all economics, all resources, all lives is directly connected to what happened in D.C. You know, dropping a Bob on the Moon family, you know, dispossessing the Dan sisters of their uh, livestock, but allowing white nationalists to take over national parks. I mean, double standard, I, I don't know how you can't see it. It's so plain and blatant. You would have to be Well, I'll say it this way. My father always said racism makes people stupid. Can't get any deeper than that. Stupid is forever, apparently.
2: Fabiana?
0: Well, I think that there's so many different things going on at the same time, but there's no doubt what you were saying, William, about letting people in. It's, you know, people kept saying, wait a minute, how come there's no force stopping these people from getting in? Well, it wasn't just about what place that day because it turns out there was plenty of notice they were all over social media talking about doing this whatever you want to call it insurrection really coup attempt is what it seems more like to me because of the 70 million that voted for trump they're going to be scattered throughout the society including in the police in the military in the capitol police as well obviously as we saw by those selfies inside fooling around with some of the these mob coming in and so you have that as one piece of it which is basically saying if trump can't get in any other way we'll just take the place by a storm and that's that and that What's really, really frightening, and we're going to see this play out because you get Trump out of office. That's just part one because this thing continues because these people are not going anywhere and they have quite an agenda. And uh, so seeing that noose, the picture of the noose hanging with the Capitol building in the background, I speaks volumes. I mean, that plus just all the different imagery of the Confederate flag. I mean, it was really a the Nazi stuff, Camp Auschwitz on the T-shirt, a sign inside about Mengele. I mean, I felt like I was seeing a parade of worldwide fascism as well as what's going on in the USA.
2: You tuned in to... American Indian Airways, our discussion of fascism, panel discussion with Dr. Fabiana Herst-Dubin, our international correspondent, Matef Harmokas, and Professor William Robinson. Now let's get back to the discussion. Indigenous Environment Network statement, uh, that was uh, January 11, 2021, it says that, and as indigenous nations and peoples in what so-called North America, we have long history with this settler state history ripe with genocide attacks against our respective nations political uh, systems lands languages and families and that both um, and that white that anyone paying attention can no longer deny their hypocrisy on how the seller state addressed white supremacists versus how they address black brown indigenous peoples we will see no longer be America's president but the hatred and racism he fed, has long been embedded in our society. I want to step back it's not only that particular insurrection the act that took months and months to organize internal, external, from below, from above, which investigations will still are not addressing that question, but I wanted to focus on the more historical sense you have in the global sense of police state, you have a sense of black Panther Party, you have a sense of, you know, the revolution movement within this country. What's the background of all this? Because we can't just look at this as Trump, 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 because the 74 million people, half of those individuals, the Anglo-American proletariat, are pissed off, and rightfully so. They're just not right wing, they are a, re- a reaction to the present conditions now. If we go back on the definitions of fascism, is it's about especially the notion of a system that could no longer fascism arises where a powerful working class movement reaches a stage of growth which inevitably raises revolutionary issues now that might not reflect only america on this revolutionary issues or the worldwide revolutionary issues but yet let's step back now trump is a indicator is a just like what the indigenous people, African-American population, and many of the sections of the working class within this country, the Pinkertons, the state, the, the unions that are progressive people in, in the last 50 years, have reduced them in their effort of political control and the legislation, judicial executive branch. Talk about that. This is not just a one individual. We'll start with uh, Professor Robinson. I couldn't
1: agree more with what you just said, Marcus. I think that's the critically important point here. There's a mistaken assumption in the popular discourse now that if Trump were to just disappear tomorrow, this threat of fashion would, fascism would disappear. Uh, and that's simply completely wrong. What happened last week in, in D.C. is a harbinger of things to come. And this has been building up for decades now, even if we put aside fascist impulses in U.S. society since its founding, even if we put that aside. Global capitalism is in the one of the probably the worst crisis in its history. It's an economic or structural crisis, which is becoming more and more acute by the day. And it's also a crisis of political legitimacy and capitalist hegemony. But let's Put this into perspective because I also want to say, and I mentioned this on an earlier interview with American Indian Airways, it is not not that the Democrats are the good guys and the Republicans are the bad guys. It was uh, the Obama years and the Clinton years that delivered us to the doorstep of Trump and this fascist threat. And what has been going on is that the that the capitalist class I now refer to it as the transnational capitalist class launched capitalist globalization and neoliberalism starting in the 1980s to beat back in order to beat back the mass struggles of the 1960s and the 1970s. And as they launched capitalist globalization, you had a dramatic intensity in the US but also worldwide of inequality and you had this complete destabilization of what of the white members of the working class that previously had uh privilege in the 20th century high standards of living stability and comfort and they've been spiraling downward they are really suffering there's 70 million 74 million people that voted for trump and we cannot say that they're all fascists because if that were the case we'd be in a lot more trouble than with them than, than we are uh right now so what has happened who has offered those 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 white members of the working class, tens of millions, what have they been offered in the face of their own socioeconomic deterioration and destabilization? Well, the Republicans have, have whipped them up into a fascist and a racist response to their predicament. But the Democrats with their neoliberalism, with their global intervention and in warfare uh, and everything that's taking place, has offered them absolutely nothing and delivered them to the far right of the Republican Party now in the form of uh, of Trumpism. So to beat back this threat of fascism, yes, we need to take to the streets. Yes, we need to isolate the extreme uh, groups that are literally armed, the, the white nationalists, white supremacists, Nazis, Klan, etc. But we also need to mount a left project which will respond not just to the needs needs of all the oppressed people, the people of color, and so forth, but also respond to the entire working class in the United States. Progressively, say we are going to push forward a project which will meet our needs and reverse what's taken place over the last. Four decades of capitalist globalization and, and, and neoliberalism. So I think that's, you know, we need to talk about this as part of a larger background story to, to what's uh, going on. And I'll just conclude, as the crisis deepens, the pandemic didn't cause the crisis, it only made it much worse. As this crisis deepens, if we on the left don't get our act together and have a significant presence among the masses of the working class in the United States, the threat of fascism is only going to intensify even if Trump dies of a heart attack tomorrow. Good riddance if he does, but that's the problem is much, much, much deeper and
2: historical. Baviana.
0: Well, what Bill said makes a whole lot of sense to me. And I feel like the what we're we really need to look at an analysis of what took place, because as you've urged various times, Bill, and I know that's why you wrote Global Police State and whatever your next book is going to be, really in the heat of the moment, and it raises so many emotions. I know, like, I'm going to a meeting on Thursday at the school I work with just because people want to unload and just talk about how they're feeling because very disorienting, very disturbing on the most basic level. But then there's so many different levels on which this is happening, and it goes so very deep into, well, as we're saying, the history and what people are experiencing every single day in this country. And there, what's severely missing to your point, William is a tangible movement in the sense that, you know, there are movements taking place and there's all kinds of struggles going on throughout this country. But what you don't get a sense is the visibility of say like an anti-imperialist movement that we saw in earlier years when you knew that there was a way to not just respond to crises, but actually have a plan for how to make change. And obviously not a perfect plan. It's something that evolves over time, but that type of organization is notably lacking. And I feel like somehow or another that needs to change because it's in the interest of all the people who are oppressed in this country, of all colors and, you know, women, you, you name it, right? But there needs to be a way to somehow project something different that's possible in the middle of all of this. Because otherwise, we're left always reacting. And um, with
2: within this, uh, Matef, do you think that Congress and the local the politicians and the national level both Republican and Democratic party are uh and this popular vote which is so called created within Biden within Trump do you think the respective political parties have been um a, a soup in, uh to congress as far as um failing to act or protest as a result of moral weakness and moral disorientation or just talking about themselves what a, what's the role what has been the role of Congress?
3: Well, first of all, I don't really see two parties, the Demublicans and the Republicrats. or well, one of my students says the Demo-Republicraticans, they all have the same ideology, capitalism. They may have different strategies and tactics about how to implement or support or run their ideology, but they all have the same capitalist uh, goal. So they're not really different parties. And, and of course, they bear a lot of the responsibility for what Sister Fabiana and Brother William have laid out. This long history, they're part and parcel of it. They didn't stand against oppression, they facilitated it. No matter what they verbally stated, their actions are written down. And I wanted to respond about the history. I think the call for an armed march on D.C. or even the call what the Trump family was doing what Rudy Giuliani was doing last Wednesday reminded me so much of Mussolini calling for a march on Rome to force his way (laughs) to the higher echelons of the government. I, I can't really think of it any other way. And I loved the fact that Brother William laid a lot of this responsibility at the feet of the Obama administration. I, I would recommend that everybody read Danny Haifong's 10-part series that he wrote as the Obama administration was going out. Six of the, uh, the uh, chapters in those 10-part uh, series talk directly to what we're saying here today about fascism. And it's unfortunate that the people in the U.S. are suffering, and their reactionary uh, comeback is what's... The saddest of all, they are not clear that when they voted for Trump for relief, that was the wrong direction to go. They wanted relief from the political establishment, but they jumped right in bed with the economic establishment. Massive failure of understanding what's going on. But, you know, all the institutions support capitalism. They're not going to teach you about dialectical materialism to properly Understand and analyze your reality, your material living space, and certainly not to synthesize a solution to your oppression. There's no way. So we're supposed to be this stupid.
2: And we unfortunately,
3: wanted, we certainly have been.
2: Yes, we wanted to create this dialogue in order to bring up within America Indian uh, community and other communities about uh, this notion of democracy, this notion of we're we at this point in time and a lot of people are not shocked which all three of you indicate that this is a particular system, uh, a system that we live under this is a particular social aspect we live under at the same time there's a lot of um uh, we'll name the books uh and uh, that you, uh, you both authored and then one last thing and we only have about five minutes we know that the two wampum belt that the Iroquois did, and the whole democracy is based on that particular realm, and the the covenant chain of peace, the covenant about the three links of peace, of friendship, and how long that peace will last between the two vessels, <coughs> a Western vessel, and the indigenous vessel, even with facing the nations, uh, indigenous nations, and the role of the republic and the role of, uh, of the super cons- extra constitutional rights of indigenous nations not being approached and never no treaties have ever been addressed nor ever been resolved within the united states are we seeing a quick answer well all three of you are we seeing the end of neoliberal uh uh politics or electoral system uh what about the near future uh, we'll speak we'll start with william robinson i wish we were seeing the end of neoliberal economics and politics um
1: Neoliberalism is in crisis. If it can survive the next few years is open to question. But look already at Biden and the cabinet he's putting together. It's a center right. And in fact, what's called center in the United States would be far right in other countries in the world. So it's a center right cabinet of people that are neoliberals, uh, leaders of all the different corporate sectors of the Pentagon, of the military industrial complex of the global police state. So unless there, the, the incoming administration is pushed in a different direction by mass mobilization from below. We're going to get a simple repeat of Obama and before that Clinton, but at a time when the system is such an such acute crisis that we're facing upheaval and destabilization.
2: You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We've been listening to the panel discussion on fascism with Dr. or Hirsch-Dubin, our international correspondent, Matef Harmakis, and Professor William Robinson. Now let's get back to the discussion about fascism in the United States.
1: I want to add one other you know point here following up on what on what the other panelists have just just said. The- masses of people in the United States are ready to be radicalized, especially the youth. The millennial and Generation Z young people face this unbelievable dismal a dismal future. I took part in the, you know, I went downtown here in LA and participated in the BLM uh, marches, and they're just ready to be radicalized. They know the system's not working for them, but they they're they don't have any project to hold on to, as Fabiana pointed out. They don't have any um, radical or revolutionary ideology or theory, and they don't have a left which can guide them. So that means that these mass movements, which are going to continue to expand as the crisis deepens, are open to co-optation. They're open to be co-opted by a liberal reform agenda, which will only make things worse um, for all of us. And finally, I conclude with this, the Democrats right now are anti-Trump, and they are not ready for a fascist takeover. Neither are the most elements of the capitalist class because the the, uh, uh, the um, National Association of Manufacturers and the Business Roundtable came out against what happened last week in Washington DC. But if and when the mass movement of poor, oppressed, and working peoples actually threatens the system Democrats, Republicans, the capitalists alike will all jump on the bandwagon of extreme repression and control uh, and basically a fascist U.S. version of a fascist project. Um, so we're at a critical time. What happens in the next few months and the next couple of few two years is is absolutely crucial.
3: And but, Tef? It's very clear that the strategies and tactics that are used in the colony were brought home to Europe. That, that Those fascists projects that were going throughout asia africa and here in turtle island were brought home and used against citizens marginalized citizens in europe we've been seeing that here in the u.s for long enough now just because it didn't happen to everybody means nothing it was always happening to some segment of the population starting
2: with the indigenous first Nations. within that we, we have about two couple minutes fabiana your last words
0: it is a critical time, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think once people get over, depending on who you are, because people reacted very differently depending on who you are and what you believe in, but the initial shock, if, you know, if what people watched on TV at a minimum, then it's like time to organize. That's just the bottom line. And it's not that people have not been organizing and that there are not struggles going on, but if we don't somehow link those together into what could be be discerned as a movement, maybe in the old sense and also in a new sense, because we don't want to just rehash the old, but somehow or another, the visibility of that is the sense.
2: Our next guest on the American Indian Airways is Albert Abbey Ibarra, has been an active actor for many years and a member of SAG, AFTRA, and Actors Equity. He's performed as a musician most of his adult life from the west coast to the east coast. Currently resides in Chesapeake Bay near the Washington D.C. area. Recently he performed in Mary. Karen's Nagel's award-winning *Return to Neobara at the Rose Theater, Omaha, NE; Manhattan at the New York City Public Theater; William Yellowrobe Wood Bones in New York City, as well as *Grandchildren of the Buffalo Soldier* at the Museum of the American Indian, to name a few. As a reporter, Abby was nominated for the Emmy for his documentary, Nicaragua Under Siege, which he wrote, produced, and hosted for CBS in Sacramento, California. Abby Chicano and Pascua Yaki actively participate in Native educational activities throughout the country with Project Indigenous, teaching cultural diversity from Indigenous perspective through the amenities. Now let's get discussion with Albert Abbey Ibarra as he describes the situation in Washington, D.C. of this coup attempt and his thoughts, indigenous thoughts, what this all means.
4: I think so many things are happening on so many levels. It's, it's almost like it's, it's like a big onion and, and, and the fascism and the white supremacy is at the root of all this and it's been going on for so long people it's been disguised and there's all these nuances uh, they no longer have the Jim Crow laws but they have other ways of doing of you know eliminating votes they have all kinds of tools at their hands that they can look at you and smile and know they're going to be turning against you the minute you turn around and we've watched the racist actions throughout our lives and our grandparents have told us the grace, but now it's so nuanced that we've been accepting this kind of behavior, uh, redlining in real estate areas, uh, education, all these things, um, medical uh, you know, hospitalization. We've been seeing it in so many different ways. We accept it as that's the way it is. But what's happened in the last couple of years and, thank, and, and also in thanks to last year's, Uh, uh, black lives matter that became the umbrella to uh, to to bring out people who have been on the sidelines so you've had people of color native americans african americans you know chicanos latinos being attacked uh, constantly uh, and 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 to no avail because a lot of people sat on the sidelines because of their own privilege and they got their privilege checked this time so that's one level where the consciousness of all americans who who are really pretty good people i mean i I live out in an area. It's it's what they call a red, a red county. Everybody in elected positions are are Republicans and they, and they all keep their mouths quiet with Trump, Trump, Trump. Nobody says nothing against him. Nobody says anything about the appalling things. He said all the disgusting things he's done to, to the people on the border, the, 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 the way they ignore the native people, when it comes to uh, native lands, uh, you know, we want to go mine more in your sacred places. They So they're not listening to anybody. They're just doing things and nobody said nothing. So now in the last year, especially, we've had a chance to to have America check its conscience. And thank thankfully, we have a, a, a president that's already showing that he's willing to listen. You know, under Obama, they tied his hands and his feet for four years in the legislature, the Congress and Senate. So he was—he was kept doing things on uh, that had limited power because they were executive orders, and, th- and those things die at, when the next president gets elected. Because that's what Trump did. He spent the first year undoing Obama. He did, and then they went after the uh, Affordable Care Act, which they call Obamacare. So his hands were tied, and now we had four years of a maniac, and I think people got tired of that. So now it's a chance for the people to start speaking their minds, especially in our communities. Uh, in Native communities where you finally see action happening, and that's through the voting process. So we found a way to fight the war without physically going to battle, but we physically are now going to the polls. Native votes were up this year. Uh, Latino, Chicano votes were up this year. African-American votes were up this year. Asians, those those groups made a huge difference in Georgia. And in, in the election that went on there, those made a huge difference. And people don't see it. They're small voting blocks, but every vote counts so it's been going on but it's been going on for this past year at a good pace and that's the good thing the good sign that i see so back to the onion all the levels the republican party is responsible for bringing the actions that came up on january 6th they fanned the flames they put firewood in there they gave them all the firewood they wanted and they burnt this fire as far as they could because it was good for their pocketbooks and that's the way they've been working i mean even joe biden uh the Senate has to confirm the first Native American to to run the Secretary of the Interior, and there's already there was pushback immediately. Why? Because she's going to be talking about conservation, uh, climate change, uh, tribal rights, and and for the for the most part, they've had hearings, and they'll say the Department of Interior is having this hearing. the The different congressional uh, committees they're talking about hearings, and the natives are never consulted. Even, even even Deb Haaland, who was elected and they had her speak, uh, she says, I can guarantee you there's no tribal people have been consulted in any of the actions that have been taking place for the past four years or even previous to that. It's one of the areas that they've ignored the most. So now, why are they pushing back the fascist minds? They don't want a Native American running the Department of Interior because the Department of Interior was invented to take away the Indian lands in the first place. You know, and the BIA, all of that was done by design. There was no, there's no, it's no accident that the Department of Material runs the top of the ground, you know, the below the ground is theirs and the top of the ground is the reds, right? Nothing's growing up here, but down here they got minerals and all the, all the things have been taken out of the ground forever. And the natives don't get any of that. The res is are poor unless you have a casino. So that's another piece of the onion. So all these levels have been influenced In the past four years to to the extent that we've never seen before so that fascism just boiled up to the top and now hopefully we're systematically going to take a look at all the different levels the congressional people that were involved and their staff the trump campaign and his staff the police and their staff all these things were going on simultaneously that nobody was watching that oh it could never happen here they're just white guys you know we have the first amendment and that's just bull man it's so much bull going on that we've accepted it as, as can be. And if you're, if you're, you talk about it, you're a radical, right? If you're talking about it, you're a socialist. So these things hold, is, I think I see as the silver lining that's appalled us. I mean, if you look, if you go down to DC in any given day, I could walk down the street and not, and not be approached, but right now it looks like an armed camp, there's barbed wire over the fences. in in view of the Capitol, right where where, where President-elect Biden is going to be sworn in, 200 yards away, there's black fence with barbed wire. I mean, what, what is that about? When I was in Central America, that's what I saw, you know, government buildings and forts and everybody behind barbed wire and guns, amazing stuff is happening. I think that's going to be another wake up call for those of us who have been waiting for something good to happen. And I think, when enough good people put good stuff into the, uh, you know, into the universe, you know, thinking about each other in loving ways and good ways. That's that's the Indian way and in spreading that good stuff. Hopefully that's going to open up uh, people's minds to, to not allow this to happen because fascism is at the point of we're going to either become a fascist state or we're going to go back to uh, a, a country trying to trying to do the best, you know, trying trying to get a good way to go. We, we haven't completed it yet. We had we tried it in 77-6. It didn't work. They tried it in the Civil War. They fought the Civil War for racism and freedom. That didn't work. We had the civil rights laws. They still couldn't do it. You know, every 50 years, we're fighting about this. Why? You know, once and for all, we're going to get it right. And that's, that's my hope for the future.
2: Well, you impacted a lot for us. <laughs> so I'd like to thank you so much. I want to go to the NCAI, National Congress of American Indians. President Vaughn Sharp was who from the Creole Indian Nation, and they said basically that they condemned the insurrection and um, that stormed the U.S. Capitol. and that, this was not a protest; it was outright mob violence by domestic domestic terrorists, and it has no place in decent society. And further on, they said commend Congress for resuming their work under unthinkable circumstances to perform their constitutional duty. And (laughs) finally, they said that the administration led us through a period of national healing and beyond. And we urge those responsible this week's events to be held accountable under the fullest extent of the law, including President Trump. No one else is above the law. Now, we have the NCAI, which is the largest institutional, you might say, conservative Native American organization in the United States. And then you had the three indigenous members of Congress who voted to impeach the president, Donald Trump, charged with incitement or insurrection. He is the first president in U.S. history to be impeached twice, number one. But the the House voted the 232 to 197 to impeach Trump with 10 Republicans voting yes. But yet, the vote fell along party lines for the indigenous lawmakers. Democratic Representative Charlize Davids, Hunk Chunk of Kansas, Kyle Kahitli of Kanaka Maoli of Hawaii and the um, other um, representatives. And we had uh, from the Mali and Deb Holland Laguna and Jaimez Pueblos so of New Mexico voted in favor of the impeachment. Republicans Tom Cole, Chickasaw, Mark wani Mullen, Cherokee, both of Oklahoma, and Yvette Har- Harwell, who's the Cherokee of New Mexico, voted against it. And then in turn the the the. So we can see that some of these people are divided around party lines. But then in terms of the Republican Party, under the discussion of impeachment, talked about the future generations that we need to come together and we need this administration needs to lead us through a period of national healing and beyond. Your comments, please, because of the fact that Republicans talk about national healing at this point in time, What do you think of that? And what do you think of this vote with a lot of these native people that are in uh, the House of Representatives or even the Senate?
4: I I think those words of of those Republican natives that that voted for it and all the rest, it's just uh, posturing, political posturing. And they're still posturing, thinking that Donald Trump is going to save them down the road. They're worried about being primaried. Something happens to people when they go into Congress and they find it. And especially the Senate, which are the gods of the of the legislature, right? The branch, they they find that 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 seat that they sit in uh, becomes a very um, selective uh, way to to start earning their living, and they forget about why they went there. So I, I'm, I'm I'm writing off those those party people, especially the natives. That's just the hang around the fort mentality. You know, they're they're they've been getting their their handouts from somebody for a long time, and they're used to it and they just, they're just going along. The other people are speaking their conscience. And that's what we're trying to address here is people looking at their conscience instead of their party. The conscience in this case would be the country. You know, what does the country need? Not what you need. It's it, it, some people voted their conscience and they said, heck with, with my, my, my party, I have to vote my conscience about the future of this country. So those people did a disservice uh, representing if they represent native people at all in the, in those districts where they're from, the the Oklahoma and Tom Cole, he, he's been reelected hands down, he has no no challengers, nobody will touch him. He's, he's in there for life until he wants to get out. So those people are just doing it as a matter of 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 you know it's just pro pro forma for them. That's the, they've been getting along on the, on the GOP ticket for so long they can't think outside that box. and unfortunately, that's the downside of what went on is these people are not going to, they're calling for unity, but how do you allow somebody to break the law for four years and then say, well, come on, let's, let's come, let's, let's, let's be okay. I just shot him four times. I didn't, I didn't mean to kill him. I just shot him. So he's still alive, but you can't, don't, don't, don't blame Donald Trump. He's been shooting people for four years and that's just the way he is. You know, boys will be boys kind of attitude. So I think it, I think it's it's sad and and it's just, pure uh, uh, posturing for political sake, that they voted against their own conscience and voted for a party that represents fascism and white supremacy and all those things. The worst, they they represent the worst of this country, the worst that we could be is what they voted for. And that's, and they have to be held accountable for that before we can heal. You remember in in the native way, uh, healing ceremonies are very uh, critical aspect of our communities and so you need The head and the heart and the soul and the spirit to heal as one unit. It's not. It's not just my arm broke, but I have to think about using that arm again someday. You have to use your mind and your soul when you're healing, just on physical things. This mental thing that's happened to us, it's an affront to to good peoples everywhere, regardless of who you are. So, healing doesn't happen that way. You cannot forget without a good healing process. And what does that mean? Somebody has to say, "I'm sorry." I apologize for being unhuman. You know, humankind is the most important thing that we have with each other. And so the way we treat each other is indicative of how we treat the earth. So you think about that, you know, we grew up in the old days, it was it was a full time job trying to be a human being and have a relationship with nature. And and we've gotten past that. Where now it's just me. And so we can't treat our each other how we're gonna treat the world and everything around us. So I think it's important that uh, we think about the things that these people have said and done and we can't um, bring them back into the fold with humankind because they're they're rejecting us by that vote. They're rejecting everything good by voting for that uh, disgusting human being that, that, that Donald Trump, that he became a cult hero to them. And that's sad. That's really sad to hear that natives voted against uh, uh, to, to save Donald Trump from impeachment.
2: Now going to some of the discussions within Abayala South or South America, they talked about their constitution. They talked about derechos de buen vida, or vivir, which means um, the rights to have a good living. The rights in our constitution it, it talks about the pursuit of happiness, but it doesn't talk about those rights economic and the discussion down down within within the many indigenous nations in Bolivia and, and Ecuador. They talk about this right of the human right to water, the right to sustainable economies, their right to uh, not polluting the earth mother, the right to uh, address the question of how do we turn the way of these rust belts and these like the green New Deal, how do we change that in that direction? your comment your comments in reference to our United States of America? Because we're the only nation in the world that eliminated or tried to eliminate the population of this country in order to make their modern nation state the only country. And to me, the healing is not just about individual what you mentioned and also the collective what you mentioned but also to understand the truth of history please speak to that especially when we talk, talk about the constitution the origins of the constitution like Oren lyons and many of the shawnee people talk about the origins it was not the constitution that did not reflect the native way talk about that for us
4: well glad you mentioned Orrin lyons a, a great speaker a great mind great human being and um i've heard horn speak on on numerous occasions um and one of the things that 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 we have to talk about and you mentioned it first is how do we the the easiest way is to start electing people that have have an open mind and that's that's the probably the easiest thing to do is to find candidates who can who, who can who can be elected and work from a more open mindedness or as some people would say a more progressive look at what we've done in the past to to, to fix the idea that uh, water now is is is, uh, is killing people, it's killed people in Flint, Michigan, it's killing people down in the southern areas, the Yaquis in uh, our homelands, which happen to be across the, the, the line they drew in the desert, the, the homelands there, the Mexico is stealing the water from them, in Bolivia, they're stealing the water and selling it back to people, which is a sin. And we're not there yet, but we could be there because of the degradation of of in the, uh, the pollution to our our natural way of living here in the United States, we could end up fighting over water very soon. I mean, the 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 firefight the fights are going on in real time for Indian communities that that live off the land and use natural native waters rights. They have water rights that are constantly going to court to save their water rights from treaties. So you know you can go back and talk about the treaties that haven't been honored because those include the minerals, the rights to live, uh, and, and especially, uh, fishing rights and hunting rights, but most importantly, water sustains us all. We all know that water is life. So these things are happening, but the only way to, to, to truly find our way through is to find people who, who, who really care about humanity. And that means, um, how do you get a politician to care about humanity when he needs money to get elected? And they, and they get into that that whole that thing. And so um, one of the newest uh, members of Congress and the youngest member of Congress, Congress who doesn't do fundraising because people believe in her so much, they just give her money. And that's AOC, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she doesn't have to have she, – she, I think she takes some money from PACs, unions, people money. But she doesn't take corporation money, but people are believing her so much that they're giving her money. So I think there's a way to find uh, candidates that we could support and get reelected to to have their minds in there and watching. And not saying that they know everything, but when you're becoming an elected official, you have resources that are available to you to get the best ideas and implement those big ideas instead of using the corporate. Right now, the corporate has such a wedge, the lobbyists. Are, are, are moving us in the direction they want to move us. They're moving to schools in that direction. What do lobbyists want? They want what their corporate uh, uh, fathers want, and that's to, to benefit them financially. So we have to get away from that, from that model. And that's unfortunately what the model we're seeing now in Washington, DC is a corporate model. You get elected by using corporate dollars and the corporate lobbyists. They tell you how to vote and what to vote for. It's so dangerous. Now the lobbyists were, they were rushing through bills, and the lobbyist bill came in and they didn't even rewrite it. They, they went into Congress with the, with the lobbyist letterhead and the footers from where it came from. They, they're they so indiscreet that they don't even care anymore that they're bought and sold. That's the unfortunate side of of our political uh, going ons in Washington. It's, it's an incredible place, very complex, intriguing. But right now, um, the wrong minds are driving us and we'll never get to a good place. And, and talk about honesty and integrity and human beings uh, living together as one community until we get rid of that that uh, that bent we have with the corporate uh, the capital corporate uh, capitalism is just so strong has such a stronghold on these on on uh, Congress people and you know I I, I see uh, good people. Striving to stay in Congress, Raúl Grijalvo from Arizona, great, great environmental mind, he represents Tucson. Uh, these guys, they they need help every year, every two years to get reelected because the, their candidates have so much money to fight them, I and people people have weak minds and they're and they're moved so easily by a radio ad or a TV ad, and and, and, and of, course, of course lies on on social media. And it, and it just, it's a really strange way, uh, place to be uh, trying to get our, our country that leads us down the road to the right road, you know, and, and it creates a lot of chaos, like we're seeing now. The moment of silence is over.
2: This, this concludes our program for today on the American Indian Airways. We'd like to thank Dr. Fabiana Hurst-Dubin, Matef Hamarkus, and Professor William Robinson. And also, we want to thank Abby Ibarra for all the discussions. We will also thank our musical guests, Aragon Star, Indigenous Resistance, IR25, Diversive, and Black Fire. For our Indigenous Collective, Larry Smith, Fabiana Hirsch, Dupin, I'm your host for this hour, Marcus Lopez, bid you. A good evening. The moment of silence is over.